0: All right. Thank you, Kayla and Antonio. Thank you uh, all of you for being here um, at our gathering as we are nearing the end. Hard to believe we're nearing the end of Advent, the end of 2023. Um, as they just said, we have one more gathering next Sunday for Christmas Eve. Uh, same time and place right here at 10 o'clock in the theater. And uh, that'll be kind of the capstone moment of both the Advent season, but also of our year together, which again is kind of crazy to think about. All right, if we haven't met before, my name is Steve, I'm the lead pastor here, and I want to invite you to meet me in Luke chapter 3. So if you have a Bible or a phone, Luke chapter 3 is where we will be this morning as we continue the Advent conversation and and as we just uh, saw a moment ago, this big theme of love. Love. Luke chapter 3, we're going to begin in verse 21, and we're going to go for a bit, so get get comfortable. When all the people were being baptized, when all the people were being baptized, this connects us in the story back to where we were last week. We We... Uh, learned about John the Baptist and his parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, kind of his backstory. And a big part of John's ministry was to baptize people, uh, particularly in the Jordan River. And Jesus participated in this, right, which is an interesting thing to think about. Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was open. The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. The Father, You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph. The son of Heli, the son of Mathed, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Jani, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Asli, the son of Nagai, the son of Math, the son of Matthias, the son of Simeon, the son of Joseph, the son of Jodah, the son of Joanan, the son of Resa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adai, the son of Cossum, the son of Elmadam, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eleazar the son of Joram, the son of Matthaid, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonah, the son of Eliakim, the son of Malaya, the son of Menna, the son of Methatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, whoa, we're not done yet, we're not done yet, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon, the son of Nashon, the son of Amminadab, the son of Ram, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad. The son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Kenan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. There you go. All right. That was a lot of names. Are you with me? All right, let's pray and then we'll talk about what in the world is going on with all the names. Heavenly Father, Son, and Spirit, we pray now that you would take this story, this text, this long list of names and some of the context around it and you would make it fresh and applicable and real in our actual lives here in 2023. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus, amen. Eugene Peterson, one of my all-time favorites, writes, at our birth, we are named. We are named, not numbered. The name is that part of speech by which we are recognized as a person. We're not classified as a species of animals. We're not labeled as a compound of chemicals. We are not assessed for our economic potential and given a cash value. We are named. Now, one of the challenges when we come to reading scripture is what is up with all the names? Our interns right now are making their way through, they're, they're reading through the whole Bible in about 10 months. And, and they're like deep into the weeds of the Old Testament. If you want to talk about names, talk to one of our interns, Amelia and Melody. I'd be happy to tell you about the long list of names that they've had to deal with. But it's like, what is up with that? Why are there so many? Of these lists of names, funny sounding names, hard to pronounce names. I'm sure I got like probably 60%. I might be being generous <laughs> in terms of pronouncing them correctly, right? What is up with all these names? Why is this important? Why is this important? Why is this in here? Scripture is, the story of the Bible is relentlessly personal relentlessly grounded in human history relentlessly relational we have this tendency we want to abstract we want to systematize we want to turn the bible into Instagrammable quotes or whatever it might be and yet scripture will always fight back against our tendency to want to turn it into something else it will always push against that desire to abstract, to depersonalize, and one of the ways that it does this is through the names. We are named, not numbered, not classified. We are names. When Amy and I were uh, naming our children, we uh, we did pretty good, I think. <laughs> Um, and, and, and part of what I mean by that is we didn't really get into any big fights. But, but there is this moment, as you're thinking about naming children, where you kind of get down to like a this or that. Like we're going to go with this name or that name. And it's always funny to look back on it. In fact, our kids have actually asked us about this recently. Like, what, what other names did you think of for me? And, and it's funny, you know, now that we've known them for a while, and I mean our kids are 11 and 9 years old, it's just like, you're Marina. Right, Your cruise. How could you be anything other than that? Quick confession: the the girl name that I really liked was Francesca, and I still think it's kind of a pretty name. But that's Marina, not Fran. Right? right we are named. We are named. We're not numbered. We're not labeled. We are given a name. Now, we don't usually read these long lists of genealogies during Advent or really any other time of the year. Because who wants to sit there and listen to me read a bunch of names? But the names are important. The names are important. Because they remind us that we are persons. Persons. You are, and I mean, put your name in there, you are Steve. You are a person created in the image of God, designed for relationship, and you are here because you show us something unrepeatable about the imagination and the creativity and the beauty of our creator God. this god who as we've been as we've been seeing in our time here in advent really throughout this whole fall conversation this god who wants to be close right the god who is with us you are a person you are named Now in Isaiah, we read, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. As we've made our way here over the weeks of Advent through Luke chapter 1 and 2 and now into chapter 3, we've seen the fulfillment of this prophecy. right, Culminating in the birth of Jesus, which we will celebrate together here next Sunday. But we've been working our way through this great truth that at the heart of the universe is a God who gives of himself, right? Who gives us himself, demonstrated most clearly through his son, Jesus. This is what Emmanuel means, God with us. And so this baby boy that we celebrate during this time of the year is this mysterious combination of fully God and fully human. This is what theologians refer to as the incarnation, God in the flesh, God in human form. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There's some good news for us right now, right? The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. If you continue on in John chapter 1, we read this. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Once again, Eugene Peterson paraphrases this by saying the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. That's the incarnation, right? That God becomes one of us. Moves into the neighborhood to be with us, to be close to us. This is the foundation of the gospel. The good news, that God is with us. Spirit incarnates, spirit embodies. The good news is not that creation is God, but that God creates and then joins in, participates in his creation, and he does this most fully in the person of Jesus and so we see all of this come together here in this scene in Luke chapter 3 right which does begin with the baptism of Jesus as Jesus is being baptized this incredible thing happens right the Holy Spirit descends on him in the form of a dove, and the Father speaks these words over him. You are my Son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Father, Son, and Spirit, all tangibly present there in the same time and space. We see in the baptism of Jesus, his full divinity. Right, The second person of the Trinity here, Jesus, the Son, embedded in relationship because This is who God is. This is who God is. A community. Relationship. God exists as this mysterious unity of three in oneness. Perfect, self-giving, sacrificial, endless love. This is what we mean, as we read earlier, this is what we mean when we say God is love. This is not an abstracted ideal. Oh, God is like, you know, love. Ah, isn't that nice? This is a reality that is born from a community of perfect unity and oneness. Father, Son, and Spirit existing together as one, as a community, as a relationship. So, we see in our scene today the full divinity of Jesus, but the mystery of the incarnation is that this God becomes one of us, fully God and yet also fully human. And this is where all the names come into play. Jesus was not just a, a ghost, a spirit, or whatever, floating around during his time on earth. He was and is a person. A, a, a person, the only person who lived perfectly in, in what... The Old Testament writers called shalom, right relationship with God and with each other, with people. Jesus was in right relationship with the Father and the Spirit, but also deeply embedded in human relationships. Jesus had a history. Jesus has a genealogy. Jesus has a family tree. Joseph and Mary and brothers and sisters and cousins. And there are genes and traits and generational baggage, good and bad, that goes along with that. Jesus was fully God but also fully human. Loving God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. But also loving his neighbors, his community, his family as himself. And you got to believe that that is a lot messier than it sounds as I just say this right now. Right? This is the beauty and the mystery of the incarnation, fully God and fully human. There's a lot of ways to sort of unpack how this is good news for us. I want to Hone in on one of them now. In Hebrews chapter 4, we read this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, and and the author here is in a kind of long section about talking, uh, talking about how awesome Jesus is. So Jesus here is this high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have, and this is the part I want us to see right now, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. Think about that for a minute. God can empathize with your weakness. Again, not just in a like intellectual way, but can feel it, has felt that, knows what that's like in his body, his bones, his soul. God can empathize with us in our weakness. We have a God who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. So, let us approach God's throne of grace, which is also an interesting thing, right? God's throne of grace. Not a throne of judgments. Not a throne of authority, although those are parts of of him and and what it means for him to uh, to be God, right? But the throne is named grace. We can approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We have a God who empathizes with us, feels with us knows what it means in all of its complexity, what knows what it means to be a human being, a person with a name and a history and a family tree, a kind of a jacked up family tree. A God who empathizes with us, who identifies with us, who participates with us, and yet at the same time, this God who is bigger and other, right, ascended to heaven, sitting on a throne of grace. So a God who is with us, who identifies with us, who empathizes with us, and yet a God who is other and bigger and beyond and yet in spite of that, still has mercy and grace and love for us. And so, the good news here is because of that, we can have what did the author of Hebrews say? Confidence. We can have confidence. Love, like Jesus... Not an abstracted ideal, not just a good idea. True love is particular. It is specific. It is rugged, weathered. It is personal. God loves us, God loves you. I'll make it I'll make it personal for me. God loves Steve. Again, not in a like, well, yeah, I just you know I love people. They're great. No, God loves me in all my weirdness, all my quirkiness. God loves me in spite of my sin and my rebellion. And all the ways that I blow it every single day. God loves me. Even in the midst of my sort of feeble attempts to do life. <laughs> right? God loves me. Personally. Steve. And God loves you. Personally. And all of your stuff. Put your name in there, I think one of the most significant things about the, the story we just read in Luke 3 is that Jesus is baptized and has this incredible moment of affirmation <clears throat> with God speaking over him before he starts his ministry. And, and even that is just an interesting thing to think about, right? The text mentions that Jesus is 30 years old. When, when all of this starts. He does ministry that, you know, calls disciples, heals people, teaches all the stuff that we read about in the Gospels. All of that happens in a three-year period. So for 30 years, God was here with us, fully human, fully divine for 30 years before he did anything. Think about that for a minute. Okay, that's 10 times the amount of time being a kid. Making chairs. That's a carpenter joke. And and whatever else that he was doing, like, can you imagine 29-year-old Jesus was probably like, come on, man, like, let's do this. No, you still have another year. Just hang out. So before he calls disciples, sermon on the mount, teaches, heals, goes around, confronts the Pharisees, all that stuff, before any of that, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. The last 30 years are not nothing wasted, whatever, time. It's all part of it. Think about that for a minute. It's kind of crazy, right? Jesus, deeply loved before he starts doing Any of the big, quote-unquote, big things that we think about when we think about Jesus. Love is practical, specific, rugged. At, At weddings, we often read these words from 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels but do not have love, I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I love that metaphor. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. That was a pretty strong statement. So, the writer here wants us to know love is pretty important, right? And then goes into this description of what love is like. Love is patience. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now it's Advent, Christmas, we talk about love a lot during this time of the year. We get warm fuzzies, we put the word on cards and we send them to each other and it's like love. But again, love, specific, personal. It's not just the feels or wistful nostalgia. It's much more concrete and specific than the Hallmark version. No shade to Hallmark. So I want to take a minute and just kind of break this down. And and this is not meant to like heap guilt on us or anything like that. But again, we need to think about this not just in terms of like, oh, you know, warm affections and niceness in someone's direction. But in terms of the real, like, what does it actually mean to love each other? All right, so love is patient. Anybody in your life you need to be patient with right now? Love is kind. Who do you know that needs to be shown kindness? Love doesn't envy. A lot of times envy is connected to discontent. Is there some discontent you need to name? Love doesn't boast. Have you been spitting the truth to make yourself look better? Love is not proud. Do you need to accept a humble posture towards someone in your life? Love does not dishonor. Who do you need to honor? Love is not self seeking. Whose good do you need to pursue? Love is not easily angered. Do you need to repent of some anger? Love keeps no record of wrongs. Who do you need to forgive? Love rejoices in truth. What truth do you need to hold on to, be reminded of, affirm? Love protects. Who needs you to stand up for them right now? Love trusts. What... Relationship needs you to lead in vulnerability. Love hopes. Who do you need to assume the best about? And then love perseveres. Who needs you to just keep going with them? Now, again, the, the intention here is not to make us go, oh, I got a lot of work to do. But my, my point here is to maybe stir some stuff up and just ask the question, is there something there that calls out to you? And then to sort of give a gentle push towards be specific and concrete. Love is not just an abstract ideal, it is this real, rugged, truthful, specific action in relationship with other people. Love lives in truth and resolutely takes steps to pursue right relationship with God and with each other. What does love look like? Love looks like Mary accepting the assignment to Mother Jesus. Love looks like Joseph choosing to stick with Mary. Love looks like Mary and Joseph parenting this very unique child together. Love looks like Jesus growing up in a community of undoubtedly odd people for 30 years. Love looks like that community then letting Jesus go so that he could do what God had asked him to do. Love looks like Jesus calling 12 weirdos to follow him, spending three years, almost every day, for three years with them together. Love looks like Jesus turning the world upside down through his life and his teaching. Love looks like Jesus hanging on a cross, his body broken, his blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins, for the healing of the nations, love looks like an empty tomb. And love continues to look like the church giving itself away, inviting people into a journey of discovery, pointing to the good news that resurrection has happened, that transformation is possible, that God is with us that's what love looks like and so what I want us to do here as we get ready for communion is is I want us to sit in the quiet for a couple of minutes and and we can put that list of uh, things qualities of love back on the screen I just want you to sit with us for Two minutes. And again, what stirs for you? What aspect of love calls out to you? What uh, what specific action do you need to take? And then as we prepare for the communion table to remember, this is not just about like, oh, you got to go do stuff but to also receive and to know this is how God loves you. Steve, right? Put your name in there. God is patient with me. God is kind to me. Just go through the list. Receive what love looks like both from God, but also what does it mean for us to love God? people in our lives. Two minutes, and then I'm going to come and pray, and then we'll sing some songs together and take communion here.